It's going to be a great day. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Shout a louder amen. Can we put our hands together? You may please be seated. Hallelujah. Okay, so today is a very special day because we'll be doing something um, in today's service uh, that is very significant for us. I'll be announcing, so I'm just going to be preaching for a short period of time. Can I have that paper, please? Then we will proceed to doing what is very, very important, which is also going to buttress what I'm about to do. Now, can we open our Bible to Matthew chapter 22, verse 36? Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses, verse 37, and says, Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So in other words, worship, our relationship with God, is the first and the most important thing that we do as children of God. Not negotiable. It's a non-negotiable thing. It's you must worship. It's not, that, it's not saying you might worship. Or you may worship, but he said you must worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and the greatest. Then he said, the second is equally important. The second commandment is equally important. Now, when I say the second is equally important, it, I, I'm saying to you that it, beside the first thing I said to you, if there are two things you need to take home, these are the two things. And the second is that you must love your neighbor as yourself. So we can deduce from here that worship and our relationship with God is paramount. Then our relationship with other people is of utmost importance, is very important. So as believers, if we do not know how to build relationship with one another or love one another, um, we are failing in our responsibility. We are failing in our responsibility. Now, the most amazing part of this commandment is even not the commandment itself. The most amazing part can be found in verse 40. So let's go to verse 40, the New Living Translation, which says, The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, why did I say this is one of the most important statements you have? Everything you read in the Bible, the Bible said that the motive, the goal, the objective, what God is seeking to achieve from the foundation of the world to the point where he sent Jesus till now is that everything is aimed at what? Loving God and loving your neighbor. Ask yourself. He said, the essence of everything, this is it. Hey, birthday girl, welcome from America. Hallelujah. That sister uh, is looking beautiful more than I didn't even know she was the one. Okay, good. So the Bible says that, so can you imagine when God said, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. And what are the other commandments you can remember in the Bible? Even the one that is so weird. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Which other one? Uh, which other one? 
Thou shalt not bear false witness or any other commandment that you know. What about thou shalt not eat um, any animal that is unclean? Um, fish that does not have scale. The Bible says every commandment in the Bible, every one of them, this is the word of Jesus, every one of them, the goal, the ultimate desire of God, what God seeks to achieve, it can be divided into two. Love God, worship, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So even when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, right, what do you think we will, the essence of his death and resurrection will then be for us? Now, have you thought about it? That the gospel we preach, the gospel of salvation, even the ultimate aim is this. Because Jesus is saying that even the life that Jesus gave to die on the cross of Calvary is still for this same purpose. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is so important that even God died for this. No, no, have you ever thought about it? That loving your neighbor as yourself is so important to God that God gave his only begotten son so that you will know how to love your neighbor as yourself. Think about it. No, just think about it. Because it's easier to say that Jesus died for my sins, right? And he rose again. But do you know why he died for our sin? Because see, the old man is selfish. Thinks inwardly. It's all about my world. But the new man in Christ Jesus is selfless. So Jesus, the nature of Jesus in us is to even help us to achieve the goal, the aim of God, the objective of God, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love God more. So when you see a Christian, don't go for the Bible. Don't go for the size of the Bible. Don't even go for, for everything that you may see physically. Watch. How does he relate with his neighbor? How does he relate with his neighbor? Because if, in fact, the Bible says in the book of 1 John, he said, if you claim to love God that you cannot see, but you hate your neighbor that you can see, he said, you are a liar. <laughs> So now we are our diagnosis is getting lower. So, in other words, if you want to really know a true worshiper, then don't look at how he's worshiping God in church. Because the Bible says, if he's raising his hands to a God he cannot see, but by the time that hand comes down, the neighbor he can see, he doesn't have a good relationship with that person. The Bible says the person is an hypocrite, he doesn't know God. So we can boldly say, loving your neighbor as yourself, right, is the hallmark of a true Christian. Yes, we can say that. Because he even said that if you are worshiping God, you know, didn't you read in your Bible when he even said, the offering you want to give to God does not matter if you don't have a good relationship with your neighbor. Yes. That the offering you want to give, say, leave the offering. But if I'm the one and I see your big envelope, I'll say, no, don't leave it first. Give it first. Then we'll go and help solve your neighbor's problem together. <laughs> but but the Lord is saying that, no, no, that offering is not as important 
But you know, I realize that offering is very important to a pastor. Because you know, not because of his personal agenda, but because of the kingdom. But I was saying, don't, don't even place those things above relationship with one another. Now, I promise I'm going to preach for a short time. So if I'm looking to my note, I will not achieve that goal. All right? So just permit me. I think one of the greatest deception of the devil, or one of the greatest warfare the devil has waged against the church is to think that we can be good Christians without having good relationship with one another. Did you get that? I think one of the things, so you see, when you check the English word for church, there are about three synonyms, three major synonyms. One of them, if you check for church in your dictionary, one of the synonyms you have is Kirk. Of course, that was borrowed from the West German. Oh, by the way, I have Pastor Shea here. He has come to help us achieve a great thing. Sorry, sir, I didn't acknowledge. When I said Kirk, I remember in the last class, you mentioned something like that. So I just remember. I'm going to introduce him properly in due time, really. Okay. But the other word, you see, the definition of the church, right, tells you the mind of the people. The other word which we use in the Bible, which the Greek use often, which is a noun, is ecclesia. But you know, ecclesia itself, it means, which is what we now adopt, is a dual meaning. The place they gather to worship, all right? Call that one, the place they meet. And even then, the other meaning is the group of believers who, when they come together, you call them a church. Well, you know, in the 17th century, there were a group called the Quakers. You know, every generation of people that God raises up to reset the mindset of the people because after some time we go in a circle where we we are used to doing something then we now think that that way is the only way not knowing that we have deviated from the real thing so you see in the church history every 100 years thereabouts within or between the space of 500 years the church goes through a reset a reset where we will have gone astray then something has to bring us back now, these guys realize that when we say church, the mind of people now focuses on the building. So people now are building grandiose places, and which is what is happening right now. We all want a very big building, you know, and it's like competition of the largest building, the largest building, the most elegant people. But right now, the more we focus on the building, the less we focus on ourselves, on the people. So you see a very big building. We are so uh, cars everywhere, but there is no intimate relationship with the people. The moment the service is finished, till next Sunday, nobody knows where the other person is. So the only time they get to say I and all those things, right, is when they see themselves in the church, in the building, right? So this guy came up with another word called, they call it a steeple house. 
So instead of calling in the church, why don't we use the word steeple house? All right? And in fact, so they said, when we call it steeple house, then we refer to ourselves as church. So if you check, another synonym for church is steeple house. So the, the, those ones, were, the Quakers guys were saying, no, we will not call it church. Let's call it steeple house. Steeple house. Just to disabuse the mind of people that the church is a building and not a person. But I am here to submit to you that the church is not the building. The church are the people. The church is a person. And so the focus should not just be on the grandiose building, but the focus should be on the people, on the relationship, on the, on the bonds we form. Now, the greatest task of believers is not to build the largest building. It's, do you know that it's much more easier to build a building, physical building, than to build relationship in the church? Oh yeah. We are currently building right now. You know that because we've raised offering several times here. All right. And um, I realize within a week, like by, between now and Sunday, by the time the engineers move to site, we've not done a lot of things this past two weeks because we need a particular um, permit from the Lagos State Government called Safety Commission, whatever, whatever. So we just did that yes, um, this just past week. So we're now. But I realized that within a week, we can lay blocks to the decking level. Within a week. I was so shocked. It's very easy to lay block. But do you know that you can't build the best relationship within a week? So you realize it's much more easier for us to build physical building than to build relationship. Now, one of the scriptures that people have disabused in the Bible is in Matthew 16, where Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, you need to understand when you read the Bible out of context, you will always get the wrong meaning. When Jesus said, I will build my church, in our own climb, what we will be thinking of is the physical building today because of the word build. So we think that he's talking about the blocks and all these other things we need to raise a building. But did Jesus ever lay any foundation of any physical building? No. So what was he talking about when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is it that the gate of hell is fighting in the church? Number one, I want you to know that there was no physical building. It was the temple and the synagogue they had. Of course, when he, if he was referring to the temple, he told them, destroy this temple in three days, and I will what? Raise it up. So the Bible interpreters looked at it. It was not referring to the temple. It was not referring to the synagogue. You know, because he didn't use anything in that time. So what is it that he's talking about? So when they wrote the church, in our own climb today, we think he's talking about the physical building. Jesus was talking about community community of believers and how do we know this because when the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2 if you read verse 44 you realize that the first thing that happened was that they all came together in one accord is that not what we read can we go to Acts chapter 2 verse 44 please let's go there 
Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And let's see the, the kind of church that was built by the Holy Spirit after the day of, of Pentecost. So, verse 42. All the believers themselves devoted to... New Living Translation, please. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Listen. And to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. Now, can I have message Bible, please? Give me a message Bible. I want you to see something in message Bible from verse 45. Uh, good. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles. Verse 44. Watch as it's going. And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony. <laughs> Do you see what is happening? This was what the Pharisees did not have. This was what the people, you know, pre-Christ did not have. They lived in harmony, all did everything in common. Verse 45, people. All right, verse 45. They sold whatever they owned and pulled their resources so that each person's need was met. Now, church, listen. Do you think that such a system exists in today's church? No, let's ask ourselves. This was the first church. There was no name, no royal grace chapel, no redeem, no four square. They were meeting and the Bible said they were so united that they sold whatever they owned and pulled their resources together so that each person's need was what? Met. Do you see that the devil has taken us away from this? Now, verse 46. Verse 46. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, physical building, followed by meals at home. Every meal is celebration, exuberant and joyful. Now, let's do a statistics. How many of you have eaten in somebody's house in church in the last one month? You went to somebody's house to eat. I mean, after service, the person is not living in your house, you know. Maybe in your fellowship. You went to somebody's house to eat together. I think Davga did that last month. Clap for Daughters of Grace. They are specialists in doing that, really. All right. Because I just remember that the last time I, I, I wish I was a woman, the only time I've ever felt I, I, was, I, I really desired being a woman in church was last month. I, when, you know, I think every Friday or once a month, I don't know how the, the women in church do theirs. They go to one another's house and they practice. I think you should be calling it Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Act 2, 46. So they practice this. They go and eat together. And that is, my wife called me and said, hey, pastor. I said, woman of God, how are you? Do you guess what I'm doing right now? I said, what are you doing? I thought they would say we are praying. I said, we are eating pepper soup rice or something. I said, then I, I said, where? He said, in Sister XYZ's house. I said, do you mean it? He said, can I come and pray for you people there? <laughs> because he said, I've not eaten pepper soup in a long time. But you see, the Bible said the early church, the church that Jesus founded, they go from house to house, right? And they eat together. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful. What do you think today is about how much we pray, how much we fast, then we come together on Sunday, and when we do to your house, to your tent, O Israel? No, that was not the design of the church. Now go, verse 46. Verse 46. 
They followed, okay, verse 47 now, verse 47. As they praised God, look at them, people in general liked what they saw. People liked what they saw. Every day, their number what? Grew. What was growing the numbers? You see, as God added to those who were saved. But what is the secret? Because people like what they saw. If people peeped into our church today, this guy, would they like what they see? Now, how can people like what they see? That means they were existing in an environment where people will be able to see them. It was not the church in the temple, in the synagogue. It was the church in the home. Now, I'm going to prove that to you. In Acts chapter 8, go to Acts chapter 8, the community they formed was what Saul was after. This is what Jesus is building. Jesus is not building the physical building. Because the physical building will leave this earth. But eternal building is our relationship with one another. The community of believers. See, I want you to see the progression of how the church emerged. Or how the word Christian also came by. Now, so Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Um, let's go from verse 1. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at the time, there was great persecution what? against who? Against who? The church. Are you, have you seen it? There was great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. The believers were all scattered throughout Judea. Now you would think that the place that the persecution was taking place was in the temple. But you have missed it. Because you are seeing that all verse 2. Now look at verse 2. When Paul went to go, verse 2. Good and brave men buried, verse 3. Verse 3. Give me verse 3. Guys, I need you to be very brave. And Saul just went wild, devastating the church. Now, where is this church located? Entering where? Did you see the temple there? Where was Saul entering? House. After house. After house. <laughs> Saul knew that the strength of the believers was not in the temple, but where is their strength? In their house. But what has the devil done for us today? The devil has bewildered our minds thinking that the, the best way to, for us to be together is in this temple. In, so we gather here on Sunday and we forsake the church in the house. So when Jesus said, I will build my church. Do you know what? In Acts chapter 9, look at it now. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Um, verse... Um, Three, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. Verse 4. Verse 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you what? Persecuting me. Oh, listen. Saul was entering people's houses to bring them out. And Jesus said that those houses you are entering, that is where I am. Say, I am in the houses. Those you were touching are who? He said, Jesus said, you are persecuting me. When you knocked on their door, how do they know they were Christians? Because of the community that they formed. There was something unique about that community. 
And that is what is missing today. But God is restoring it back. When we use the word Christian, where do we derive that word from? Because in Bible says in Acts chapter 11, Paul stayed there for a long, a one year, and they were first called Christian. Now, where did the word Christian, where is it derived from? Now, the Latin word, Hihanos, I-A-N-O-S, the Greek is the I-A-N. Ianos means belonging to. Belonging to. Now, for instance, most of us use that word unconsciously. You say, I'm a Nigerian. Instead of saying, I'm a Nigeria. But you don't say, I'm a Nigeria. You say, I'm a Nigerian. Now, the I-A-N that you've added actually means I belong to where? Nigeria. I'm a Ghanaian. Now, when they add the same Ianos, I-A-N, to Christ, that is what forms the word Christian. I belong to Christ. That's a simple. I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. It's the same way we say Christian, Nigerian, Ghanaian. Christian means I belong to Christ. Now, where was that identity of those who belong to Christ discovered? Go to Acts chapter 11. How did they discover those who belong to Christ? Are you with me? Acts chapter 11. Paul said it very clearly there. I'm trying to, sorry, my note is messed up. But if you're there, I know you can help me. How do you? Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 11, somewhere verse 25. Then Barnabas went unto Stasos to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church. Remember, they didn't mention synagogue or temple here. They were staying in people's houses. For a full year, teaching loud crowds of people, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called what? Christian. They realized as a nation, they were a different community. People will get to know us as we show our community in the homes. We should fight for the church to remain in the homes. When we take the church out of the home, there is no way for the unbelievers to know our identity. It is in that community, our identity as Christians is discovered. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love, one for another. Why do you need a community? Why must we be intentional in our Christian community? I will give you some few points. Um, number one is which was, you need others to help you grow spiritually. Why do you need a community? You need others to help you grow spiritually. I share with you that I came, when I became a Christian at the age of 12, I was a young boy and I came, you know, from another church who, 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 which was a white garment church. So I joined this church, you know, I don't even know the song they were singing. They would sing so many songs, I don't know it. They were not dancing the way I was dancing and the pastor would stand there quoting the Bible like no man's business. And I desired it. The name of the church, I, I became born again, the Redeemed Evangelical Mission. Number 16, Afolabi Brown Street, Akoka. That's where they started. I know where I gave my life to Christ. 
But do you know what they did? I don't even know how to preach. But I thank God for that church. You see, they, as a little boy, they plugged me in. You know, where they knew I had a problem was the day they were praying, ask anything you want in church. And I stood there and I had only one Christian. I've seen my pastor quote Bible. So I carried my Bible, like I said in first service, you know. And the only one request I had, I was eating the Bible so hard on my head. And do you know what I was praying? Bible, enter my head. Bible, enter my head. Bible, enter my head. And do you know something? I, I honestly speak, I was praying with the old pastor that I did not know when the pastor said in Jesus' name we pray. I did not know when everybody sat down until one usher just came because I was, everybody could hear what I was saying and touched me. When it touched me, it was as though they poured cold water on my head. I knew there was a problem. So I sat down and I said to myself, now that everybody knows that I don't know the Bible, everybody knows my secrets, Today is the last day I will never come. I will come to this church. Once the service finishes, I'm going to go. So as they finish the service, this church will be over 5,000 people. You know where Trem started? Afolabi Crown. That was where Bishop Okonkwa and the rest. That's it. The Bishop Okonkwa's house was just the next street. I know where he was living. You know? But as the service finished, despite the crowd, they were a wise church. They realized that the church is not about the crowd. It's not, it's about the people. It's about the people. People, let's get it wrong. If we are not building community, we've missed the essence of the church. So as I was about to dash out, somebody just, hey, brother, how are you? And I was looking, did they know? Did she know? You know? And they took me, you know, to the house Sunday evening. Now, do you know why I like the place? It was the first place I drank Coca-Cola. By the time I drank cold Coke, I forgot about my, my problem. Do you know why? In my house, we only drink Coke once a year. Christmas period. My daddy may be watching me right now. He knows what I'm saying. It's true. He didn't buy plenty of Coke for us. See, Christmas period. And we only eat chicken once a year. Those days, chicken was a luxury. But do you know one thing? They taught me how to do evangelism. They taught me how to pray. They lay hands on me. I argue with them before I could speak in tongues. I said, now if I, I remember the day they were going to make me speak in, baptize me. I, because where I was coming from, you know, this Holy Ghost thing, where I, I used to pray that my mother would not enter the Spirit. Because when my mother entered the Spirit, she can be there for 14 days. So I was very afraid of the Holy Ghost. So now I see people just praying in the Spirit and coming out. And I said, what? So on this occasion, they pray. I said, no, me, Holy Ghost, no. I'm and they, they loved me. Today, they don't even know. But then they sow a seed of a pastor. But imagine that church was all about the building. That little boy will have died spiritually. Because you see, my inferiority complex will have taken hold of me. You know, some of you are in church right now. Maybe you don't even know how to read or write. Maybe if I call Abba Cock now, you will go to Abba to look for a cock. You don't even know where Abacock is. Maybe you don't even know where, where to find Matthew. No. You should never feel intimidated in our community. If somebody who could not read or write ever feels intimidated in our community, we have missed the essence of the church. Because you see, the, no matter who you are, when you enter into that family, nobody feels ashamed in their own family. But you see, that will not happen by accident. We have to be intentional about it.
That is why we must focus away from the building and know that it's about one another. This is what the devil is. When the Bible says the gate of hell shall not prevail against it, what the devil is fighting is that focus on the building, not on the people. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you in my life. No, really mean it for the first time. You don't know who you are talking to. They say, I really need you in my life. Because we stand a lot to gain in our community. Is that, is that is a way we can tap into the resources that God has blessed us with. Lastly for today, I said I'm going to be preaching for a short time. I'm timing myself. All right. The community is where you develop your gifts. You develop your gift in the community. And I'm just going to run up with that word. You develop your gift. It helps you develop your gift. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, Amplified Bible. Let the word spoken by Christ the Messiah have his own in your heart and mind and dwell in you in all his richness. As you teach, look at it, and admonish and train one another. Now, did he say let the pastor train you? No, he's, he's, he's using the, uh, the, the metaphor of a home. So train one another in all sight and intelligence and wisdom, in spiritual things as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to God with his grace in your heart. Just look at the church. You know, I recently I was reflecting back about what God has done as he sent me to this land. But I'm very happy. Because you see, as I speak right now, virtually, I can't, I don't even know, maybe the ones that are not yet, maybe lay ministers in our midst. Every one of our leaders were homegrown. All were homegrown. And do you know, when I gather them on Sundays like this, I remember Lady P, whose skill is to cook, well, they will enter the kitchen of Lady P like that. When we cook and we say, everybody, we are eating together, there is no day, there is no fight. Do you know the people that look so great today as our pastors and leaders in church, right? When they are eating and eating and eating, all of a sudden, Three meters disappeared. Then the other person will say, no, I won't take this. Then the other person will take the remaining two. Maybe about five of them, six of them. Then this one will say, no. Then I will, this one will take the soup. Then this one will take the gary. Then the serious fights. And I said, no, guys, get used to eating food together. Right? And we will have to train and train and train them. I remember when I began to talk to them about Getting your priorities right in life. Don't buy a car. Go for a house. And I was like, I love it. But we can't buy, we can't get a house. I say it's possible. Bible says wisdom uh, is by wisdom a house is built. Do you know there is none of our pastors who don't have a property of their own today? Even the ones that are not married, the ones that are not married, they all are all of them by the grace of God. All of them by the grace of God. But do you know something? It took a leader to sit down with them and say, now, I'm training you. This is the way to go. If that is the one talent God has given to me, I'm so proud of it. Right? I'm so proud of it. By the grace of God. But it takes them existing in that community. Relationship helps you to discover your gifts. You know, 
I told you we are doing something. Recently, uh, in our church, we realized that we are missing a point. You know, if you check recently, we've not been doing all the outreach, evangelism, some of the things we're doing. Because you see, every church that Jesus starts, every group, we as we are here, in, our, in this area we are, the greatest mistake is for us to think that our duty is to worship God. And so we do that on Sunday, give our offering and go home. That's not why we are here. If that is the only reason we are here, there are many churches meeting today that even have can do it better. But when God raises a people, he raises them to solve a problem in their community. When a church is not meeting and solving the needs of the community, that church is not fulfilling its purpose. You know, we have to get to the point where we have to say to ourselves, we are not solving needs. Now, we are now existing like any other church. And what do we need to do? We need to get consultants. Those whose duty is to help us understand why do we exist in this area? Because every church that God starts is not an accident. It's the vision of God. To meet the need in that community. Those guys I spoke to you about. God sent me here. I was part of the people to meet their needs. Right? They are doing well. They are married. A lot of them are, you know, doing excellent. But it's my joy to see them where they are. But when we are not intentionally meeting the needs of our community, then we have lost it. We've missed it. Because you see, we are here to, God sets a church up to help people develop their gifts. If you go to our site, what I'm about to say to you, I remember sitting down with um, the consultant about two, three weeks ago. So we did what we call a temperament test. When we did the temperament test, um, then he gave my wife a file. He gave me. Then we were looking throughout all the sites to be able to conduct a temperament test. Then we were with him again about some weeks ago, and he said. I said, no, we are, we, how come this thing is so hard? We are not getting all this information. In it. And he said, but you're an IT person. I said, yes, I, I, I'm an IT person. He said, don't you think you can solve some of this problem for the church? I said, me? For the church? He said, yeah. Because you see, one of the things that is not helping church to develop strong relationship is that you cannot be intimate in, in a sense if you don't actually know the strength and weaknesses of one another. For instance, if I come to your house now and I see that the cloth is here, the cloth is there, or the cloth is there, as you, you marry, so, some, he has thrown this person, has thrown the bag here, he has thrown the shoe there. Uh, it's not because the person is a bad person. When you see someone whose house is not so organized, if you have a knowledge, right? Because that my people perish for lack of them, instantly you will know that there's a sanguine in this house. There is a sanguine in this house. Or if I see somebody who just say, hey, what's up, my people? How far? Never a boring moment. And we are very serious about it. Hey, make you forget. Make you, forget. you know, one of the sandwiches I know in church is mommy gifts. Mommy gift. Where, is she in church? Is, is she in church? Where is she? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mommy gift. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Mommy gift is a typical sanguine. How do you know? You watch when we say, hey, go and greet yourself in church. The way she will greet you, you'll be afraid of greeting. She will greet you past greeting itself. Now, if you don't understand 
and you are not armed with that. If mommy gives one, hey, you know, see, she's never shy to greet you anywhere. But if you don't, say, no, 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 no. Why is this woman like this? No, she's a sanguine. There is something special about her. So this man, you know, I didn't realize that if we want a very strong church. Now, let's talk about, let me talk about, if you see somebody, for instance, now, Peter was a sanguine. Don't you realize that in all the disciples of Jesus, only Peter spoke more than all of them. There is no, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, he was the talkative. Even when Jesus said, you cannot do this, he said, ah, me, eh, me, eh, me, I will, true, I mean it, I will never deny you. Me, deny? You see, that's sanguine for you. I mean, deny you. And Jesus said, oh boy, pray. I prayed. No, no. Peter was a sanguine. Man, listen to me. Now, what about if you see somebody who, who just, when you go, say, no, maybe you are in a group, you know. And, you know, you see somebody who say, this pen. Okay, let me tell you. Uh, uh, this pen is here. If you come, I don't know whether you have seen such a people before, and you move this iPad here, the man can say, no, no, even if it's on the pulpit, but you have moved it from here to this middle. Somebody has touched my iPad. Remember Jesus said, when Jesus said somebody touched me, what did Peter say? Why will you say somebody touched you? In this crowd, why will you say somebody? But Jesus said somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. Now, a, a melancholic knows they don't just move things. They don't just put, they put it there for a purpose. They will marry. If you see a melancholic car, they like using whites. Everything, no paper, nothing. So you enter the car of a melancholy, you have finished drinking your Saturday when you just drop it. They ask you, please, can you please take that for water? So this man, he owns too much. No. Now, in church, we have problem. What we think is problem is that we, we don't have an understanding of the temperament of people. Brother A.Y., uh, our uh, comedian in church, is a typical sanguine too. Don't you realize that the last time we told him to come and do comedy in church, he jumped from here, he reached the back. Whilst talking to people, he just move, move. I said, this guy... It's a sanguine. Now, I didn't know myself the extent. And some of the problem I was having with my wife was the lack of basic understanding in that area. And this man, I'm talking about the power of a community. He looked and just told me, one well, you can do it. Do you know within two weeks, now you can run your personality, even as you are in church, you can do your personality test right now in our, on our site. Because I just said, I can do it. So right now, if you go to realgracechapel.com, okay, should we try? Go to realgracechapel.com, everybody. In 10 minutes, you can discover your personality. Realgracechapel.com, just click on personality. And it will give you very accurate results. Very accurate results. We are, this week, we are doing another one, how to discover your ministry gift. We are integrating it on the site also. But do you know something? It took me sitting down with one man. One man in less than two hours. To help me know that I can do something about that thing. All these years, I never could have imagined that I can do it. We are always looking for the foreign one to do it. But I, I, I was just, and it's joy, you know. I have the resources, the guys to just do it. That is what the church is supposed to be doing in our lives. That when you enter a church, you are supposed to discover even the gifts you don't know exist there. That is why. Jesus said, the gate of hell shall not prevail. Hell is prevailing when the purpose in the church is not about building community, but building buildings. I want to encourage you.
If you've not plugged yourself to a community, do so. Regardless of the challenges you may be having in your community in church, fight to be in a community. We must fight for the church to go back to their homes and not this central temple. Thank God for where we meet on Sunday. But the real church belongs to the home. And that is where the family units can be developed. Is somebody with me? And this is why we are doing ICS. Oh, you can clap. Thank you. This is why we are doing ICS. Every year we do ICS. Next Sunday is ICS Sunday, Intercontinental Sunday. Wow, awesome. Amen. And what do we do at ICS? What we just do is that we want to be sure that everybody belongs to a group, a family unit. And we are, in fact, by the time these people are through with us, by God's grace, they say, you will see that a lot of things are going to change. One of the surveys we are taking today is about knowing the needs of the people in the church, how to meet the needs. How to, the church, must, we must not fail in our assignment in meeting needs, both within and within without. Is somebody with me? So at ICS, it's not about how many people sing or how you dance. Like I was saying that I was peeping through the window when one of the uh, group were rehearsing and I saw one of our, you know, noble men, you know, as he was dancing, I said, this is the spirit. Why? Because in the family, there is no shame. In the family, you know, we eat together. We play together. It's not all about spiritual things. We, we must form that social investment. That's why you, you, you need to be part of the ICS group. So next Sunday, be, today after the service, make sure you are in that group. You sit together. You will see that somebody will discover your gifts there. Our leaders are now being trained to discover people's gifts more. All right? And as you are there, we finish next Sunday. You see everybody setting their canopy somewhere, setting their table somewhere. We sit down together, eat together. And I don't like eating with people. Then don't eat. Just take a drink. All right? But by all means, sit down there. Because there is great opportunity when we discover one another. Let me give you an instance. You know, there's been first scarcity for some time, right? Do you know I've not queued? I've not queued. And I'm not going to queue. Not because it's just my prayer or power. Because I know that there is a brother in church who works in the filling station. So when I saw first scarcity, all I needed to do is, hey, brother, remember me. And every day now they've been getting me, or at least for, for since the things started this week, 50 liters. Yesterday, 50, I was in the house, I saw that 50 liters have landed again. No, if there was no community, I would have, no, you have been queuing. It's because you don't know that somebody like that is in the church. Now, do you see how people, you know, there's a sister in, in who works with Lagos State uh, General Hospital, um, uh, Lassuth, right? Not Luth. The Lassuth is the one at the Kedja, right? Now, you are going there. But there is a member in church. You don't know that somebody like that is there. Then you are having a need there. All you need to do we, 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 is for, oh, SIS, can I get? They will do it for you. There is someone in our church who, who is also a resource person, human resource person, you know, who even both locally and internationally. And you, you are the writing that your CVs are struggling with it, struggling with your CV. Now there is someone in church whose area is that. You don't know. So you see, all these opportunities are there, but we are not taking advantage of them because our community is not strong enough. So you see, people suffering in the church where they had no business suffering, but that has come to an end. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you to survive. Stand to your feet with me. Put your hand together for Jesus. I want you to just hold somebody and pray for somebody today. 
just hold somebody and pray for somebody and just look at that person they said and just look at your neighbor and say i pray for you today that between you and i and the rest of us the love of god will reign i pray for you that god will give me the grace to keep watching over you to care for you to love you as jesus has required of me go ahead and just say that to your neighbor Go ahead and care for your neighbor. Just release a word over your neighbor. Release a word over your neighbor. Just release a word over your neighbor right now. Just release a word over your neighbor. Thank you, Lord. to pray one more time say father god let your love flourish in our lives let it flourish in our lives now let it also flourish in our homes go ahead and pray that prayer say father let your love flourish in our lives let your love flourish in our homes we pray that your love will flourish the more in our lives that your love will flourish in our homes that we genuinely love and care for one another in Jesus' name we have prayed. Heavenly Father, we thank you. The Bible said, how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in harmony. We thank you because it is your idea that we exist as a community in different locations in the homes, replicating the spiritual home on earth where people can see and say of the truth, these are Christians. Now, Father Lord, we pray that this wisdom of church in the home of building a strong community among us as Christians. This wisdom will flourish in our lives, in our midst, in the name of Jesus. We pray for one another that we shall be a living testimony of a true Christian community. We thank you, Father, even as we navigate through this season and phase, we know that you are guiding us. In Jesus' name we pray. Put your hands together for Jesus. You may please be seated. Hallelujah. Now.